I am Nicole. And I'm Caitlin. And today we have a special guest whose name is also Nicole. <laughs> but you can call me Sweeney, which is my last name. <laughs> yes. And uh, Sweeney has already been uh, given the rundown of how <laughs> Nicole's work on this podcast has been informed. She can challenge me for the title of Supreme Nicole of the Nerdy Podcast and has declined. So I have. Yes. That's, uh, uh, <laughs> verbal confirmation. I have indeed declined. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is... That's not That's how, not how science, science works. <laughs> that was an especially bad one. That was really terrible. Well, great. So today we have Sweeney on to talk about the second of the two shows that we've been investigating as an alternative to The Flash, because as we know, <laughs> Caitlin has feelings about The Flash that are strong feelings and not necessarily positive feelings. Uh, <laughs> And so we are talking about a show that Sweeney loves, which is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But before we get started, uh, Sweeney, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, I I feel some type of way about how my initial introduction is person who loves Agents of (laughs) S.H.I.E.L.D. But... <laughs> it's a, I have a complicated relationship with Agents of Shield. Uh, I, uh, when I'm not watching obscene amounts of television, am all over the internet. I have two podcasts that you can probably listen to wherever you're listening to this one: uh, Star Squad Pod and Cooler Than Homework. And then I also work for a company that makes educational science YouTube videos, and that is like the sole extent of my science knowledge is that I uh, read scripts written by people who know things about science, <laughs> and then hopefully uh, they are understandable. <laughs> hey, you know what? We we do not require you to have a science nope. background on this show <laughs> at all. And if it makes you feel better, you're by far the most famous person we've yes. had on our podcast. <laughs> like, not even close. <laughs> And no. Well, I uh, now have the amazing claim to fame of uh, being per- a person who loves Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so, you know. Hey, we have uh, quite a few fans of the podcast who were very excited to hear we might be covering this. So. Yes. Um, I actually think the biggest thing Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has going for it is we have mentioned it to multiple of our guests on the show, and they're like, oh, I love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I totally do that. And we're like, cool. Great. Great. Yes. Great. I feel like... Nicole specifically chose it to remind me of what I'm missing out on with The Flash. Like, um, <laughs> or sorry, you know what? remind me I... of what I would be missing out on by moving away from The Flash. Okay, mm, <laughs> few mm-hmm. things. I have evidence they Googled, and that, frankly, <laughs> puts them higher than The Flash. <laughs> <laughs> they used Google. <laughs> Big research. Mm. You know what? It's it's something. Caitlin actually has volunteered to give the synopsis of the first episode. And let me set up my yes. timer. Part of this is that it I now get to comment on all of the characters right away, right at the beginning of this podcast. You get to set the tone. You get to decide how these characters are defined. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. All right, Caitlin. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. I'm starting the timer. All right, the first episode opens with a man and his small child, and he kind of seems out of work and down on his luck, but then the building across the street explodes, and we see him kind of put up his hood and go rescue someone from the top of the building. Shortly thereafter, I believe, we see one of the women who witnessed this act of heroism talking to him in like a cafe, and her name is Skye, and she is part of this, what we find out later is this sort of amorphous hacker group that may or may not supposed to be like anonymous question mark but uh they're called the rising tide and she basically tells him that people are going to be after him namely shield and she tries to recruit him to uh, use her help then we kind of cut over to shields where we see ward who i really dislike (laughs) but basically he's doing your typical like intelligence agent in hollywood things in paris And he is on a mission, and then he, after the mission, is pulled back to S.H.I.E.L.D. and is brought in to talk to Coulson, who we know from all of the Marvel movies. Coulson is putting a team together, a special team, and it's because he 
almost died, which is very suspect. You didn't see that in quotation marks because he totally did die and like something is up and he just doesn't know what is up. I am decided he's an alien. Anyway, so he's putting a team together because Fury felt bad that he died and uh, he wants Ward to be on his team. Also on the team are two scientists named Fitz and Simmons, who we are introduced to as Fitz is an engineer and Simmons is a biochemist. That's what they tell us in this episode, at least. They tell us something else in the next episode. Uh, and <laughs> Colson also recruits someone who is in the sort of bureaucratic paperwork side of S.H.I.E.L.D. now, but apparently used to work in the field. And I don't remember her character's name, but she- Her name is Melinda, Melinda May. Melinda May. Yeah. She is pretty cool. She is. She's, She's also the voice She's of Mulan. They have like a big like introduction to the team. Here's some random tech that doesn't really exist kind of moment. And then they decide to research this super that we saw at the beginning of the episode by going to the building. Do they catch Sky first or do they research him first? Uh, they catch Sky first. I th- they kind of do it simultaneously. Colson and Ward catch Sky. And then uh, May, Fitz, and Simmons go to the building that exploded. Gotcha. And they go to investigate there. Gotcha. Half of the team catches Skye, who, again, is part of this vigilante hacker group. And they bring her into an interrogation room. Coulson injects Ward with a truth serum and then, like, leaves him in there and is like, here, have access to all the secrets of S.H.I.E.L.D. if you want Skye, because he really wants to, like, recruit her. Uh, meantime, they send Fitz and Simmons and... Melinda May to the kind of bombed out husk from the building. And we find out it wasn't just a random explosion. It's like a secret lab. And they use these really, really effective drone things to like scan the entire thing and find out stuff. Sky had been working with the other guy, but she got kidnapped before she could like finish working with him, I think. So in this process, they end up sending her back because she kind of decides that maybe S.H.I.E.L.D. is not evil, or at least this group of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not evil. So she goes back and helps sort of decrypt her files so that she can lend them some audio so they can figure out what happened in the bombed out husk of a secret lab. They get a lovely hologram of that and they basically find out that there's like alien tech that's being used to inject a version of super soldier serum into people. But then those people sort of explode because it's not stable. And that's what happened to the first person that it happened to. And the second person that is in the program is the guy we saw at the beginning. So basically, he's a walking time bomb and he's got some rage issues. He rages out at the person he had saved earlier, who's actually the doctor that had kind of put him in the program. And he also rages out at his former employer who fired him for getting injured on the job, basically, which is super illegal. It becomes a situation where they're trying to, like, keep him calm and bring him in. But he is in a really public place and, like, might explode. So they all have some fun action sequences. And Coulson tries to talk him down. Oh, and then some other agents are coming in trying to get him, but whatever. Uh, and then they end up shooting him with, like, uh, some kind of serum that is able to sort of fix him and knock him out. And then they bring him into S.H.I.E.L.D. at the end of the episode. Sky agrees to potentially be part of S.H.I.E.L.D., but, like, as a contract. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yep. I think that's accurate. <laughs> So I think you got pretty much everything. I think one of my, I think one of the funniest things about Shield is that they have the equivalent of Cisco and Caitlin from the Flash. Yes, they have Fitz <laughs> and Simmons. Uh, Fitz is the engineer who apparently is a literal rocket scientist. Which, just saying, Space Nickel is also a literal rocket scientist. Yes. So, <laughs> and uh, Simmons is this show's version of what kind of doctor is Simmons? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Caitlin, do you want to start? Since I know you have thoughts about the science of this episode. Yeah. Well, so it's hard because, I mean, we've talked about a couple Marvel things on this podcast before. And one of the things Marvel kind of does well is that they sort of lean into the, like, magic of comics a little more so than The Flash does. Several of these science things, they either don't actually explain to us how they work. Or they're just like, it's alien technology, and we're just supposed to buy that. I have a couple things, and they're kind of minor things, but largely this episode, there were several things that we've kind of already talked about. The first of which is this night-night gun. There's actually a really great point made by Simmons to Fitz. So Fitz designed this gun, apparently without consulting Simmons about what was actually going to be like in it. 
he just was like, here's how I design it. And I made the molds. And then she came in and was like, but it can't hold enough of the agent we need it to hold. So it's not going to work. Which like, yes, maybe you should know what you're going to convey before you design a very fancy weapon. But I also am very unclear if it would have helped because what she tells us is that it can only hold uh, like a tenth of a microliter of dendrotoxin. And I tried to look up dendrotoxin and it's a little beyond my chemistry knowledge, but it's essentially a toxin that's derived from the black mamba venom and it blocks potassium pathways. So it does sort of act on your muscles and it's unclear whether it would cause like muscle paralysis or muscle like spasms. You can't necessarily design uh, like an instant knockout gun. Like we don't have that technology. We don't have that. And dendrotoxin, the the dosage trick with dendrotoxin would be it's either going to be so low, it's not going to cause the paralysis you want, or it's going to be so high that it paralyzes people's lungs and they die. So Mm. uh, yeah. And like we discussed in our Jurassic World episode, one of the hard parts about making like a tranquilizer gun or any kind of gun that knocks you out is that the dose has to be really specifically tailored to you. Um, Because otherwise, if it's too low, like Caitlin mentioned, it's not going to be effective. If it's too high, you can die. And like, how how are you supposed to just on the fly size someone up and be like, "Mm, yeah, I think they need this much toxin. Gonna stick that in my gun. Uh, it's like Hmm. not really feasible yeah so I did appreciate how the introduction of the gun kind of introduces the dynamic between Fitz and Simmons they are 100% the version of Caitlin and Cisco for this show (laughs) and also like definitely like I'm going to enjoy them as characters (laughs) oh yeah Mm -hmm. Fitz and Simmons are delightful uh so one of the things that I thought was really funny from this episode is that they when they're at the crash site, Fitz uses his magic little yes. hovercraft vehicles to scan the area, and somehow they're able to identify a broken uh, security camera, which it kind of feels like if you have a shady lab, why do you have security cameras? Really? So he he's like, oh, it's damaged, but I might be able to recover something from it. And then Sky is like, oh, I was recording audio from it. And then Fitz and Simmons are like, oh, okay, well, maybe we can sync the audio and that'll help us with figuring out the video. And no part of that makes any sense to me. Like, no. even if they are able to filter out the audio, um, which, you know, maybe they can. Like, Sky said that she wasn't able to make any sense of it because it had too much noise in it. But sure, maybe Fitz and Simmons have, like, a good white noise filtering algorithm. I'll buy that. But it makes absolutely no sense that having audio would help you recover video from a damaged, like probably micro SD card or something on this camera. That it it makes no sense. Let alone make a 3D hologram from it. The 3D holograms yeah. are bad. <laughs> I, I think what they're trying to say, I 100% agree with you, Nicole. It doesn't make sense. I think what they're trying to say is they have some kind of images from the security camera and also some kind of like other sensor that they're trying to like add and they're using the audio to triangulate question mark but it it really doesn't make sense yeah for sure and uh and then my favorite part too is after Fitz makes the hologram they're like whoa hologram and Fitz goes it's like magic but it's science and i just have <laughs> nope in my notes <laughs> Not even a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I think those were the main science issues in this episode from what I I got. Yeah, I have two more that are actually a little bit plausible, so I want to talk about them. Okay. Yeah, Um, go. go. I did not read into it a ton, but I did just look up whether location-locked decryption and encryption would be, like, plausible. And this is, like, a thing that people are really interested in because they want to be able to basically encrypt various types of data so that, you know, it can only be decrypted at this office or this lab or this government facility, whatever. We, we don't want our description. Right. So there's a lot of research around it, and it is at least plausible. I don't know if we have it solid and rolled out yet, but it's definitely something people are interested in developing, and there's ways you could do it. You would have to encrypt based on location and then decrypt based on location, but it's, uh-huh. it's 100% plausible. Yeah. 
And then the other thing I was trying to figure out is, so I think this might end up coming up later in the show, but the guy is in like a project centipede is what they call it. And he has this weird like alien thing on his arm, this metal like centipede looking thing on his arm. And what they say uh-huh. in the show doesn't really make sense, which is they say that it's an IV filter, an intravenous filter for blood with super soldier serum in it. I don't know how like plausible that is. My assumption is what it actually is, is like an insulin pump, but instead of insulin, it has super soldier serum that it's delivering into him. That's what I've chose to decide that it is. Because um, <laughs> I think it makes a little more sense than like, than, than filtering his blood and somehow like adding serum back in that he, so insulin pumps, huh. there are a bunch of great uh, industry and, doctor videos about them but basically they have varying levels of technology but what they do is instead of you having to manually test your insulin and then inject yourself you have this pump that is monitoring your insulin based on both levels that you input and like some of them have fancy like monitors that are in you like all the time and then sending that signal to the pump and saying adjust up or down how much insulin we're giving them so their basal insulin level is xyz Um, and then every three days you have to like replace the insulin in it and re stick it in yourself. Um, uh-huh. So the places, the injection points for insulin pumps are different than what they show here. It's usually like your thighs, your outer thighs, the back of your shoulder or like your stomach basically. But I don't know if that's related to it being insulin or if that's because those are good injection sites or whatnot. So um, right, what the the biomedical engineering behind a an insulin pump is exactly. Yes, I don't know if you know yeah. more, <clears throat> Nicole. My my guess is probably at least partially because those are pretty good injection sites. Because your arm, for something that needs to be incorporated quickly into the bloodstream, is not the greatest because you don't have a lot of major arteries in your arms, especially because um in this like centipede thing, it's attached to like his lower forearm. That's not a great place for injecting into the bloodstream. Whereas you have some really big arteries in your thighs, arteries and veins. Uh, obviously, your stomach is going to have, uh, there's a lot of blood in your stomach in general. And your shoulder, like that's a lot closer to the heart. So that's my two bits. Yeah. Yeah, but does it look as cool? Oh, no. Not, no. <laughs> Insulin pumps do not look very cool at all, TBH. So. No, uh, but they're apparently the, very great. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> this is the variable that has, feels missing to me. No, that's this conversation. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I have a couple more small things. So, uh, really small, like petty things, almost. Guy at one point tells Ward the video that she took of the guy saving woman and jumping out of a window has more views than that video with the puppy with vertigo. And I just, I was curious. So I looked up Puppy with Vertigo. There aren't a lot of videos. And also, puppies with Vertigo are like, they're not cute. They're sad because the puppy has trouble walking straight. And so the puppy will just veer to the side. Oh, no. Um, And it's not cute. It's sad. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) So no no one's watching videos of puppies with Vertigo, except with sympathy, I think. This show kind of has one of the pet peeves that we've talked about before but uh specifically i'm talking about a a point in the episode where fitz and simmons are basically discussing we're not sure if we're going to be able to come up with something that will stabilize this guy in time yes and yes you know like we only we only have a few hours we figured out it's only a few hours before he explodes who knows how they figured it out but whatever and then colson goes no you have to figure it out it's on you and I'm like, no, 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 child. Wait a second, Colson, sir. <laughs> um, that's not how science works. No. And you could easily, like, when you rush science, as we've talked about before in this podcast, sometimes you get lucky and things go okay. Oftentimes, people get hurt because you need a lot of testing to make sure that what you're doing is good and working. So mm-hmm. it's not on you, Colson. In fact, if you're rushing science, it is on you, sir. Yeah. If it goes poorly. <laughs> I, I don't know how long we're going to be watching this show, but I feel like a recurring theme. I'm going to introduce it now is that Agent Colson is a bad manager. Like he is, <laughs> he is not a good manager. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, oh, and I uh, I noticed one other thing uh, that I have in my notes. So this is great. The the device. The, so they recover a partial device um, of the centipede devices from the explosion site, and then Fitz goes, "It's dripping with gamma radiation." Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, if it truly is, then why is there no shielding? Why are you just like, here, let me poke it a bit? Um, (laughs) Especially because we know in the Marvel Universe, gamma radiation can potentially make you the Hulk. Is that something you want to play with? I think the answer is no. My other, I feel like, recurring theme will be around really disliking Ward. (laughs) Right away, I was like, you're going to be that guy. <laughs> I just want to uh, say, because you plan on watching more of the show, I, like, I don't want to... The thing about the first season of this show is that it took them really the whole season to get to a place where all of these... They figured out what to do with all of these characters. So as somebody who is now completely current on the show, you know, many seasons later, it's a trip to go back and watch this because... Oh, yeah all of these characters in season one for the most part are like cardboard cutouts of the thing that they're going to be eventually uh the honestly biggest exception to that is ward the only character whose like season one arc was like they knew it from the jump was his yep. <laughs> so i just that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Maybe maybe right now it'd be helpful to say Caitlin has not seen any Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. Except for apparently that one scene that she halfway remembers. Yeah. Um, I've seen the first three seasons. uh, And then, well, Sweeney just said she's current. And uh, Sweeney, Caitlin was texting me while she was watching the first two episodes like, I hate Ward so much. I hate Ward so much. And I was just like... No comment. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just I have nothing to say about your ward feelings except um, no comments. No comment. Yeah, <laughs> especially with this first season, because basically they spend the whole season waiting until the events of Winter Soldier. Yes. There's a lot that's like, how much can I tell you without spoiling anything? <laughs> For, for those of our fans who are not MCU people, <laughs> look, if we're going to go ahead with the show, I don't think that there's any way to avoid it. Okay. A lot of a, a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. is actually corrupt. Yes. Is is the long story short. And you find that out in Winter Soldier. And basically this whole season, they're biding their time until that reveal happens in Winter Soldier. And then things go off the rails yes. for the people in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I will also say that this is one of the like biggest problems that S.H.I.E.L.D. faced in its early seasons is the way in which it had to react to the MCU, but the MCU couldn't react to it. There are characters mm-hmm. introduced in like later seasons of S.H.I.E.L.D. that are wildly powerful, and like it is a source of endless frustration to me. Like There's no way that... like. They wouldn't be called up for, you know, Infinity right. War endgame level stuff. Uh, so, like, that's, like, a, a source of frustration. And you see that a little bit in – there's there's sort of two, I think, big moments where the show has to react to things that happen in the movies in ways that hurt the show's ability to, like, do its thing. Uh, and this is, this is the first one. Second one is, uh, I think, after uh, Civil War. Civil War – kind of Mm. also has has consequences for the show but uh this is definitely a a big example of this which is that going into the creation of shield they the showrunners knew the basic premise of winter soldier like they knew the hydra thing was going to come but they were not allowed and so like they knew that that's what they were building towards they knew that that's how the season had to end but also they were never allowed to mention hydra like the literally the interview where i i read about this like they refer to it as the h word like they couldn't use the h word (laughs) at any point i like like it you know in like the setup uh before this moment because like that reveal had to belong to captain america like the movie franchise had to have like the weight of that reveal. And I get that up to a point, but also like, I I don't know, like it just sucks then for these people trying to make this TV show uh, to be constantly beholden to, you have to build towards a plot, but you can do nothing to seed it. (laughs) I mean, I shouldn't say nothing. There are way, like they found, there are little things that they do to seed it, Mm -hmm. but I think it's worth uh, 
I don't know. Like, I extend a slightly more, like, grace to the writing, knowing full well that, like, they, they had they had pretty se- severe constraints in terms of how much how much they could actually seed this story. And I think that's, that is the biggest reason why the first season isn't as good as later seasons is because the first season had to build towards a finale without ever, like they, they had so many constraints around what they could tell you about the finale that they were building towards. Right. And so the first season ends up being very much like monster of the week format. Whereas that's not true at all of the later seasons. Yeah, the later seasons are always like some sort of weird. There's a lot of resets on the show, but they're but like when they do resets, they're like they're fucking weird. Like they they just are sorry. <laughs> when they do resets on the show, they're very very weird, and they go into just like they go off the rails. Like they in ways that I think are really fun and interesting. Like they take advantage of like the fact that it is just like a comic book show. Like it's not, oh, I yeah. don't know. Like they, they lean into it's spies and superheroes. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, absolutely. They absolutely. have fun with it. So Caitlin, uh, I definitely think like, if you don't enjoy these two episodes as probably everyone who's ever talked to you about agents of shield has said, it is not indicative of whether or not you will like the show <laughs> as a whole. Uh, so second episode of agents of shield uh, they get a call saying that there's some sort of unidentified object in the jungles of Peru. So they go there and there's an Incan temple and inside is a piece of what's clearly some sort of weird alien technology, but it looks like it's also German. So uh, the big thing is in the area, the there are a bunch of uh, quote unquote rebels that are protesting Peruvian mining practices. And so uh, Coulson, who has a friend in the military, she shows up with a bunch of soldiers. And then shortly afterwards, rebels show up and start attacking them. So they grab the piece of technology from this Incan temple and they bolt along with uh, the Coulson's friend and her soldiers. They get on their little like special jet thingy. Caitlin neglected to mention, but basically their headquarters <laughs> oh, is <yeah>. this <laughs> special jet like Air Force One, only better, I guess. It's and like the Spice World bus, but an airplane <laughs> exactly. for spies. And with a mobile lab. And <laughs> yes, and there's a mobile lab, which, you know, definitely wouldn't, you wouldn't have trouble with turbulence and sensitive equipment at all. That would never be an issue. Uh, so they, they bring the alien technology onto the mobile lab and they find out that it is powered by Tesseract technology. And if you are not up to date on your MCU stuff, the Tesseract is one of the Infinity Stones and it basically produces a lot of power and can do weird stuff. Um, So while they're on the plane, Coulson figures out that his friend in the military uh, is secretly against him and she wants to steal the alien technology for Peru. She says that uh, Peruvians had uh, a long time ago, they had commissioned this from renegade Nazi scientists who had fled from Germany, which uh, tie back to Captain America. Uh, There were a bunch of evil Nazi scientists experimenting with Tesseract technology. And so this is where it came from. Yes. So she says she wants the the weapon um, because it it can produce basically a a high laser pulse blast. And she says that Peru will use it to put down the rebels. Um, So her men are able to take over the ship and they tie up everyone and put them in the hangar where they have their like cars and stuff stowed on a plane totally makes sense and (laughs) they are able to get out because melinda may dislocates her wrist and they beat people up they figure out that if they um punch a hole in the side of the airplane with the little um with the tesseract device that it will depressurize the main part of the cabin and open up the doors. So they do that. They get in there. They fight the ladies, bad guys, bunch of them fly out of the airplane. They're able to stabilize the whole thing. And in the end, she gets carted away to jail. Uh, They are all fine. But at the end of the episode, you see that Skye has received a notification from one of her Rising Tide buddies. And she replies saying that she's in. So we still don't know if we can trust Skye. Yes. Also, they um, shoot the weapon into the sun at the end of the episode. Did you mention that? Yes. No. Okay. They shoot the weapon. That's true. They shoot the weapon into the sun to destroy it. 
which definitely doesn't seem like a bad idea when you're dealing with technology powered by an infinity stone, but, you know. <laughs> well, they don't know it's an infinity stone yet, do they? Well, you know, it's the no, Tesseract. Well, yes, but this is like baby days, man. Uh-huh. They, have, they, like they, they know idea. so little. <laughs> they do know so little. It's very true. Uh, yeah, I, I apologize. One of the hard things about doing something that's set in the MCU is uh, trying to divorce it from the context of the MCU, but also provide enough context yes. that this show makes sense. Yes. Uh-huh. I hope we are doing this effectively. Yes. I feel like we probably are not. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like this episode has more on the science side of things to talk about. Yes. Um, but I have proof that they Googled. And Caitlin has been talking about how this show is as bad as The Flash, and I don't think it is. Um, so a couple of things. For one thing, they say at the beginning that Peru has 32 species of monkeys. That is correct. Oh, Peru does, in fact, have 32 species of monkeys. And number said on this show was correct. Would it have been correct on The Flash? Probably not. So... <laughs> And um, one of one of the other things that I have proof that they Googled is that uh, Fitz says that the power core is pulsing above 10 exahertz. I don't I'm still not 100 percent sure why it's pulsing, but he says later on that it's emitting gamma radiation. So just just prepare yourselves, ladies. 10 exahertz is uh, would be 10 times 10 to the 18th power um, uh, on the frequency. Gamma is 10 to the 20th hertz. So, in fact, the power core is pulsing above 10 exahertz. What? Oh, okay. They got their orders of magnitude right. Again, though. So. I was very surprised there was no shielding put around this weapon. Oh, I agree. Agreed. I just love the 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 scale difference between these two examples that you brought when you led with no they researched there are thirty two <laughs> kinds of monkey in Peru. I was like, all right, that's the kind of uh that's the kind of bar that the flash has set uh low enough to trip over. But then you that. like you <laughs> but you followed yes. it up with something very legitimate. Yes, yes. Um I, in fact, I have in my notes, so I guess the exahertz claim checks out, somebody Googled, exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) Now, granted, it's a little unclear to me because they talk about how the power core is pulsing at a very high hertz. And I think what they're trying to say is that it's emitting um, electromagnetic radiation at a certain frequency. You know, we've, we've talked about this before, but there are different types of radiation that you can get. Uh, the two big types are either you can have electromagnetic radiation that's, I mean, when you say radiation, we're usually talking about harmful radiation. So again, that means ionizing radiation. Um, that's usually about UV radiation and above in terms of hertz. So gamma radiation is like harmful radiation that's way above uh, UV radiation in terms of hertz. Mm-hmm. Um you can also have radiation from particle decay. Um, so when they're talking here about this, like, giving off gamma radiation, like, sh- sure, but it it doesn't fully track that you have a power core that they're, like, they're talking about it pulsing, but I think what they're really trying to say is that it's giving off electromagnetic radiation at a particular frequency that is very high. Um, it's just a really weird way to put it. Like, it's like, it's basically the way that someone would put it who doesn't understand the way that frequency works in electromagnetic radiation, which I suspect is probably what happened. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I also suspect that this is what happened. They also talk about how it's emitting photons, too, which is bizarre, because um, if you remember probably back to your high school physics days... um, Light is kind of a weird particle because it travels in a wave, so it's it's considered electromagnetic radiation, but it also has particles, which we can test. Like, we know that it has both uh, properties of particles and waves, and photons are those particles. So, you know, he's like, it's emitting photons, and you're like, cool, that means it lights up. <laughs> I have in my notes, submaterial compression, question mark, question mark, question mark. 
And I think that was another thing they claimed the power source did, which didn't make sense. That's not a phrase that makes sense. What do you have, Caitlin? I, I have more that I can talk about. Well, I'm mostly, my biggest thing to talk about is rapid involuntary depressurization of airplanes. Yes, me too. <laughs> I mean, they openly admit we, the the door was like locked via pressure. So we had to change the pressure so it would open. But then the scale of how depressurization, how rapidly it's happening and how they're reacting to it doesn't seem to be correct for how large the hole they blasted in the side of it is. So if you've ever ridden on an airplane, you've seen a lovely little flight attendant spiel where they talk about how if the plane should depressurize, oxygen masks will come out of the ceiling and you need to put yours on first before you assist anyone else. And... I thought about that when I was thinking about how this scene goes out because they intentionally blast a very large hole. What would you guess the like radius? It's probably like diameter of the hole is five feet in diameter yeah. or something. Because they later block it up with, with a raft. life raft yeah. and it just barely fits around yes. it. Yes, and that's definitely an effective way to uh, solve this problem. That life raft. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and I love how the life raft just sits right there doesn't mm-hmm. move an inch to either side of the hole they don't try to like duct tape it no, on or something they sure do not They're do like, anything to secure it at all <laughs> we are good uh-huh. <laughs> um so a little bit of this depends on how high the airplane is when they blast the hole and i was sort hmm. of it's not totally clear well that's not true because they've already hit cruising ap- altitude at that point gotcha so they are like thirty thousand feet in the air Probably. Okay. Do you want to talk about what happens if uh, your plane has a giant hole in it at 3,000 feet sure. in the air? Um, so one of the things that happens is a bunch of stuff gets sucked out of the airplanes. People get sucked out. Which they did uh, show apparently that. Apparently that can. Yes. And that can happen um, from what I saw. In fact, there was one story that I read where like somebody almost got sucked out of an airplane and like someone else had to grab onto them and hold them there. Uh, The biggest problem is that when you're that high up, um, so, you know, uh, this one article is saying uh, at 22,000 feet, for example, um, which presumably they are since they seem to be at cruising altitude, um, you have about five minutes of useful consciousness after rapid decompression. And the problem with this is, is when you're that high up in the air, the air molecules, because there's less pressure um, up up there in the atmosphere, uh, the air molecules are spread apart fr- much further. Um, so it's a lot harder to breathe and get oxygen when you're that high up. It's the same reason where if you're like me and Caitlin um, and you live at sea level and then you go on vacation in the mountains, hiking's real tough uh, because since you're so much higher up in the air, those oxygen molecules are further apart. You know, that's why athletes will often go and train up in the mountains because yes. then they get better at uh, their, like, at, at dealing with lower levels of oxygen and being mm-hmm. able to, like, you know, breathe better, uh, essentially, because your body can adapt to that. This is science I'm familiar with. I run marathons. Yes. So I'm, I, yes. I, I know yes. about this. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. I know um, that so one. So 20... 20- so at twenty-two thousand feet you have about five minutes of useful consciousness at forty-three thousand feet you have a mere five seconds um i think i saw up to about 18 seconds of useful consciousness in another article uh and so the problem is like in this episode you have people they're like fighting each other and like you know doing all this crazy stuff in the air and it's taking a lot longer than you know 18 seconds to five minutes depending Mm -hmm. on how high they are Mm -hmm. and the problem is is when they say useful consciousness it doesn't mean that you're immediately going unconscious but you start having trouble making executive decisions Mm -hmm. Uh, Hmm. so like one of these articles that i'll i'll link has a video where they talk about how in the military pilots will voluntarily experience this so that they can see what it feels like when you've lost useful consciousness. Mm -hmm. And in this video, they're holding up cards and 
real real early on they start having trouble figuring out which card it is <laughs> huh. uh, another another thing that one of these articles talks about is that um, PBS did a feature about climbers scaling Mount Everest and so subjects were tested at various stops along uh, this climb and just asked real simple questions and and do like sentence repetition and at higher altitudes they were having trouble answering evil even simple questions Um, So basically everyone on this airplane after about like a minute would all be really confused, Mm. (laughs) which actually would make for very entertaining action scene as they're trying to remember what they're doing there and why. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so I I think that's one of my biggest things. The other thing is rapid depressurization is real hard on your body. And so it's not uncommon for people to start bleeding from their ears or for them from their noses. Um, it's the same same kind of idea that like when you uh, are going up in a tall building and you get in an elevator that goes up very fast, you'll feel your ears pop and that's your ears dealing with the uh, difference in pressure. Uh, when you're in an airplane and you have rapid depressurization, it's worse. And so, again, your ears can start bleeding, your nose can start bleeding. Um, yes. None of these things happen. And depending on how fast it is, it can be incredibly difficult to breathe because of like the pressure difference between your environment and your lungs and how fast that happens. Yep. Also, like do, I, I really want to impress on everyone that like airplanes are a very safe way to travel. And, you know, generally this is not going to happen to you oh, in yes. an airplane. But we Absolutely. do have documented cases of this happening, things like this happening in airplanes. A lot of them are military kind of things. But um, a couple of years ago, there was that Southwest flight where a window blew out. And like if generally if you're a pilot and this happens to your airplane, the first thing you do is like, even if it's not because of a window flowing out, but if, if your cabin loses pressure, you basically, you get down as fast and as safely as you can to a lower altitude so yes. that all the people in your plane don't pass out and die. <laughs> yeah. And actually one of the things that I was reading, and I hope this doesn't freak anyone out, uh, but apparently those oxygen masks only have about two minutes of oxygen in them. Yes. So that's that's part of the reason the pilot has to like, descend as quickly as is safe uh-huh. under the circumstances uh-huh. uh, because the pilot has to get to a, a location where people can breathe again. I, I guess the other thing being the reason we laugh about the raft being adequate is that even a very small hole or leak or something that actually affects like pressurization still causes all of these problems and that raft is not going to stop that mm. from happening. No, and what I think is funny too is that Uh, It's a pretty big hole, so they're going to depressurize fairly quickly. And what's going to be keeping the raft there is the difference in pressure between the inside of the plane and the outside of the plane. But like Caitlin mentioned, like even a small hole is going to allow for continued depressurization. So as soon as the pressures reach the same uh, level, that raft's just going to fall down. Mm. Uh, Too. So, yeah, the the whole thing, uh, I don't know, it, it... I mean, I guess to be fair to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., this is not the first show where they've, you know, had rapid depressurization of an airplane and, like, not played it out well. Uh, but just know that that's, uh, that's not how that's science a real works. Issue. Yeah, that's not how science works. Um, <laughs> uh, I have a couple of smaller things, too. I think it's funny because at one point, at one point, Sky says that she searches all data streams and she does it in, like, five seconds. And, uh... <laughs> Yes. You know, the way that, that searching works, especially when you're searching large quantities of data, mm-hmm. it, it takes a while. Right. And you can't just do it in five seconds from your phone. So that's fun. There's also, this is a small one, but uh, there's a point where uh, they're, you know, fighting and May's, uh, May has two guns and she's aiming them at people. And I just want you to remember that you can't aim more than one gun at a time. Because your eyes are incapable of focusing at two targets simultaneously. So having two guns looks real cool, but it's not as eff- it's not that effective. You know, you're just going to be shooting one gun blindly while you aim with the other one. One other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is they have a hologram table on this episode. And I think that they can kind of be forgiven for this because this is something that the other Marvel movies have established. Um, like Tony Stark in the Iron Man movies has like these everywhere all over his house but i looked this up and apparently there is a company 
that they are trying to release a hologram table. Uh, you have to have special glasses uh, so that you can see the holograms, but they are trying to sell them uh, as, like, gaming devices. Mm. So those, you know, not as far-fetched as you might believe. My only other stuff is about the rocket launch at the end, so that's why I made sure we mentioned it. But basically, there are, like, specific launch windows that correlate to specific needs, and you can't just be like, we found a... 1940s Hydra weapon. It's very convenient that one of these launch windows just happens to exist the very night they need it to. At one point, uh, when they're talking about the rocket, they say that its trajectory will take it beyond the Lagrange point so that it doesn't hit Herschel. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, So Herschel is a satellite telescope. It's a telescope. But, you know, in space. I guess they just decided to name check it. It was kind of unclear... Why? But when they talk about it's going to take it beyond the Lagrange point so it doesn't hit Herschel. So the Lagrange point, sorry, I should actually explain what the Lagrange point is. Yeah, Kaylin, explain your science, fool. So there's multiples of them. Where did I put my Lagrange point notes? Well, and one of the funny things is, too, I think people forget how big space is. Yes. So if you want if you want a reason to listen to all of Sweeney's podcasts, <laughs> there's in- so much space <laughs> <laughs> in <laughs> one of the recent episodes of Cooler Than Elmer. Um, there's a whole discussion of would you like to be a ghost that haunts Earth or a ghost that haunts space? And uh, one of the issues that uh, we have discussed with haunting space is that space is really big. And it takes a long pl- time to get anywhere. And so if you're going to be a space ghost, can you travel very fast? Yes. And I think what we decided yes. is yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but that's the issue is that space is huge. Um, even things that look close together, you know, in space would be far apart in Earth terms. Um, like we discussed in the Geostorm episode, like it takes a long time to dock anything together. Because you have to match up orbits exactly. And then you have to approach very, very slowly. And um, the odds are that even if they just blindly launched this thing into space, it would not, in fact, hit the Herschel Space Observatory. Hmm. Yes. Uh, And then when they (laughs) mention the Lagrange point, so a Lagrange point is, I'm going to literally read this off of NASA's website. Lagrange points are positions in space where the gravitational forces of a two-body system like the sun and the earth produce enhanced regions of attraction and repulsion. These can be used by spacecraft to reduce fuel consumption needed to remain in position. So these are basically special places where it's easier to maintain like a constant orbit around a thing. The Lagrange point only just sort of suggests like, oh, this telescope is in this special place, but it's still an orbit and it's still like a tiny thing in space so that they would be like, oh, like we'll go beyond the Lagrange point so we don't hit Herschel doesn't really make sense. Because mm-hmm. the Lagrange point is kind of like an orbitary, an orbity place. So uh-huh, like uh-huh. you have to go beyond the Lagrange point to eventually make it to the sun so you can m- melt in the abyss of the sun. Yes. Uh-huh. All, all of these are excellent, excellent points. Yes. And ones that I didn't feel like researching after I read so much about depressurizing. Airplanes, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> totally understandable. One of the things that really struck me, I never thought I would say this. What did you think about it? The Flash writers at least are creative enough that they don't usually repeat the same bad tech. Like That's true. They come up with new terrible science <laughs> every <laughs> This is true. Um, whereas the Flash I, is just a gold mine. Yeah, like whereas watching these there were two things at work. Either they were doing the thing we always rag on the Flash for not doing, which is they were leaning into the super hero aspect of things Mm -hmm. even though none of these characters that are on the agents of shield team are superheroes they're in a universe where they exist and so alien tech is a thing tesseracts are a thing whatever right or they were going over stuff that we've kind of already talked about because everybody kind of sucks at it like depressurized Mm, planes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i also think that these were not necessarily the best episodes in terms of science because i know that Later episodes, they definitely have the Flash thing where they're like, look what Finn Simmon whipped up in the lab. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a ton of that. Like, that is that is what those two characters do, like, functionally. I mean, also, they're, like, yes. you know, 
narratively uh yeah. they they you know have some other stuff going on but like it, like that's their their function is to whip up crazy tech in the lab the thing about this show too is that in addition to leaning into the comic book oh there's aliens aliens is the answer how does this work i don't yes. know aliens uh they there's also a little bit of an element of and you like started to see it here but like i think more throughout the rest of this season an element of like Oh no, we have developed that already. It's just a super secret government thing. Like, and they they kind of yes. lean into that a little bit too. So, like, there's like when there's the yes. element of, you know, I, I could see how you would get to there, but we haven't done this yet. Uh, and yes. like the show's sort of conceit of being a like super secret government team or whatever. Gotcha. Uh, we've yeah. done it. The okay. government just doesn't want you to know. Gotcha. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then the other thing, I kind of have to eat my words here. Because I know I rag on Barry a lot, but I actually missed Barry watching this. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought I'd hear you say these words, (laughs) Kate. I just, if we're talking about like analogous characters, Fitzsimmons are Caitlin and um, Cisco. Cisco. And. I like I like both of those sets of characters. I think they have some distinct things yes. that are different between them. I like both of them. And then, yes. you know, Joe and Colson are probably like the analogous characters and I think Joe is a little better at like people's stuff than Colson, but Colson's well, very Colson, earnest. I think Colson would be a combination of Joe and Wells. But Wells is I hate to say this cuz he sucks as a person, but he's a better manager. <laughs> trying to figure out like is barry supposed to be like ward maybe sky is like maybe iris iris right so if barry and and ward are sort of equivalent like barry is so much better my answer to that is no comment no comment (laughs) i just no comment like i know I, i realize they're going for a thing and presumably he's gonna change over time but he just doesn't bring the like earnest likableness to the character (laughs) (laughs) no comment still no comment still still taking no questions uh (laughs) our listeners you're gonna have to let us know what you would rather hear us Mm, cover mm -hmm. yes Yes. So um, I think we're we're done with the science. Do you want to say anything else, Caitlin or Sweeney? No, I do that's not. everything I had. I think I have just one small comment, and I actually forgot to mention this for the first episode. But on the first episode, Ward takes this glass that has this dude's fingerprints on it and, like, wipes this yeah, magic uh-huh, cloth over uh-huh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uses that to open up a safe. And maybe it's because this is a magic technology cloth, but one of the things that drives me crazy about, like, pulling fingerprints off of things and using it to open other things is if you press your fingerprint onto something, it's going to be a mirror image of your finger. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So you cannot just take it off and push it onto something Uh because it will look like the opposite of your finger. Uh Uh-huh. Just saying. Yeah, but this was, like... Magic tech. Oh yeah, this is magic tech. Yeah. Maybe they're yes. like, ooh, they thought were of able this. to like pick everything Inverted, up and yeah, put, yeah, flip put it. them in the right spot and invert them and uh-huh. stuff with our magic technology. Yes, but I just want to say this comes up a lot in TV shows. Something to think about. But that being said, I did go down a rabbit hole of can people replicate your fingerprints and unlock your phone with them. The answer to this is indeed they can. Yeah. So if someone can make a mold mm. of your finger, then they can put like gummy in it and take the gummy out and like it will be good enough to fool your phone. I also feel like this is like my it. like fear mongering episode because the other thing to know <laughs> if you are securing your phone with a fingerprint is that if you should maybe be incapacitated in some way and the cops maybe have access to your hand and your phone, they don't need a warrant to unlock it. That's true. 
Um, yes, that's very true. In general, I try to do my shady business, uh, <laughs> not on my phone. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I think before we go to Science Corner, uh, now you've heard our episode about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You've also heard our episode about Lost in Space. Or if you haven't, you can go listen to it. Uh, after we post this episode, I am going to put a poll on Twitter. And we would love to have your feedback about whether you would like us to continue with season two of The Flash, whether you want us to do Lost in Space, or whether you want us to do Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. And we will definitely take that feedback into consideration when making our final decision. Um, obviously, we're going to still do what we do now, which is like intersperse episodes with things about movies and stuff. Um, I think we'd also like to start doing books as yes. well. Please let us know if you are strongly passionate about The Flash. Make sure you make the case in the Twitter comments. Yes, and maybe um, volunteer to be on an episode, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, okay, well, with that out of the way, we are part of the Kaleidoscope Media Network, which uh, our little baby network is focused on uh, basically providing analysis of various media thingies. So, you know, our show does uh, analysis of science and media. And our partner shows are Here's Johnny, which they do analysis of horror. And Wizard Studies, perusing all things Potter podcast, which they uh, talk about Harry Potter a lot. And we're really cool. All of our shows are fun. Uh, We should be releasing the crossover episode we did with the Wizard Studies gals two weeks after this episode is released. So stay tuned for that. And we also recorded an episode with them. So you can listen to us there. We also have an episode that we recorded with Here's Johnny. So if you want to listen to us talk about Event Horizon, which Caitlin didn't find scary at all. I only watched the top quarter of my screen for most of the movie (laughs) and had very bad science. Uh, Go listen to us there. I think that episode is actually really funny. Um, And I'm going to play a promo for one of their shows right here. Hi, my name is Larry, and I'm a research scientist. Uh, and my name is Justin, and I know absolutely nothing about science. But together, Justin and I still take a look at horror movies, games, and TV shows on the Here's Johnny podcast. Yeah, we also got to talk to some really awesome people like directors, producers, writers, streamers, and even other podcasters. Our show comes out every Monday. You can look it up by searching Here's Johnny Podcast in your favorite podcast app, and you can reach out to us on Twitter at Here's Johnny Cast. We think you will like what you find. Oh, Larry, I thought of something science-related to horror that I actually know. What's that? The blood is supposed to stay in the body. Uh, very good observation there, Justin. Thanks. Very Canadian of you. All right, now it's time for Science Corner, where we talk about cool science things. Do you want to go first, Caitlin? I can go first because the theme of this episode is Caitlin scares everyone about everything. Wow. (laughs) I had a couple things in the hopper, but once I started researching insulin pumps, I remembered this piece I had read from several years ago about the danger of hacked medical devices. And I just thought I would. uh, Yeah. (laughs) So not to like deeply scare everyone. um, But one of the interesting things about medical devices is that they have become more sort of like technological and they've started to use like Bluetooth and other things so that you don't, you know, you can like somewhat program them and communicate with them outside your body externally. And insulin pumps are largely an external thing anyway, but like pacemakers are not. You like literally have to have surgery to have those put into your body. There are a lot of people who have tested out like, can we hack pacemakers or can we hack insulin pumps? And the answer is yes. Uh, which is kind of scary. So there are things that are being done to try to mitigate this, but it is kind of just like an area of concern. And I don't mean to frighten anyone, but if you'd like to kind of read up on an interesting intersection of both medical science and hacking, which may or may not be a theme of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I can post one of these pieces online, but you can basically just search like hacking medical devices and find many, many articles about this. Great. Thank you for your fear mongering. <laughs> yes, wow. Uh, Coming at you from all directions today, really. Yeah, I would I would like to say that I only talked about airplane sea pressurizing and the rest of my stuff was pretty positive. Um, you know. Uh, so I also have something that's biomedical related. Um, there is a team. Uh, let me let me see at the um, 
University of Utah where uh, they are trying to make a prosthetic hand arm thingy that uh, allows an amputee to feel things. Oh, I read about that. And they're calling, yeah, they're calling it the Luke arm after the robotic arm that Luke Skywalker receives in The Empire Strikes Back. And that's really cool. I haven't read a ton into it. Um, but it, like this one quote says, the participants can feel over 100 different locations and types of sensation coming from their missing hand, uh, which is super neat, super cool. Um, biomedical engineering is neat. Don't let Caitlin scare you. Sweeney, Caitlin told me that she warned you about this. Yeah. Was this true? Yes, this is true. (laughs) I, my science corner contribution is stolen from another podcast because that's you know that's fine how i, I mean roll. you can shout that out we're good that's fine yeah that's fine we have no problems so with this. my my friends and co-workers make a podcast called scishow tangents and yeah. this week's episode was about metamorphosis and like the whole thing is delightful and fun and good but they 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 have a segment called a fact off where two people have to basically they they each brought like a weird fact about a metamorphosis and i feel that all the points should have gone to this this fact that i thought was delightful which is that i think this is 2018 they found a snail that does what they describe as crypto metamorphosis which is that like its whole metamorphosis was happen is happening like inside its body and like it's like its organs were i like tried to track this tried to understand what exactly is happening but like <laughs> uh like once the snail reaches a certain body length its digestive system stops growing. I'm now literally just reading from this section. <laughs> but yeah. uh, its teeth, stomach, and intestines make way for an expanding esophageal gland. And the organ gets so big that it like takes up most of the snail's body and basically becomes a new organ. Bacteria colonize it. And then uh, the snail like no longer needs to eat because it's just like living off of this bacteria. And like oh it just sits there getting bigger and then surviving on this bacteria. And like... I- that's Wait, sorry, did you just say the what snail the never has to eat? It does, yeah. while it, yes, while it's metamorphosizing, it's it's oh. it's surviving on the energy the bacteria produces inside the snail's cells. Oh my gosh. That's insane. Uh, this is the from the New York Times article about this. To make a human comparison, imagine growing from an average size adult to one 30 to 60 feet tall with a giant sack of bacteria living inside you. And that's basically what this snail is up to with its crypto metamorphosis, which is wild and weird. It's weird. That's fantastic. And like the, the thing that's so wild about this is that like this is the only example that they know of of like crypto metamorphosis, but like that we know of, right? Like they they just discovered right. that these snails were doing this like a year ago. So oh, yeah. what? Animals that's are incredible. weird. You can find our podcast at TNHSW Pod, as well as you can find all of us individually. I'm at Nicole Luckless. I'm at Caitlin Venas. And I am at Sweeney Says. Yay! So, yeah, follow us. Talk with us on Twitter. We love interacting with people. If you don't Twitter, you can also find us uh, apparently on Instagram. What is our Instagram handle? Our our Instagram is also at TNHSWPod, okay. but I'm really bad about posting there. I forgot to post our last I episode. definitely don't I post there. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Or at our website, that's not science.com. And you can okay. find a post dedicated to this episode. We're going to post the articles that we talked about. Um, Sweeney, if you want to send us I the... I uh... just did email it to Caitlin. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. Um, so we'll we'll post all of those articles there. Um, remember that if you want to listen to our music, you can go to the music tab on our website. If you yeah. want to listen to the great Godzilla song that I wrote uh, from our last episode. Yeah, there's... There's a music video because I uh, I didn't do things that weekend that I needed to do, but I did all the things I wanted to do. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> you can still get a sticker. Uh, just send us a DM at Twitter or you can email us at uh, that's not how science works podcast at gmail.com and, you know, rate and review us wherever you find your podcast. We always appreciate that. And uh, I think that's it. Did yes. I miss anything, Caitlin? No, that's it. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening.
Bye. 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 You know, in supernatural horror movies, the ghosts are unhappy and they're taking out their anger on the world. Right. But I feel like as a space ghost, you can only be delighted. This is my thing. So a a lot of the earth ghosts, and I respect this, but a lot of the people who want to be earth ghosts, they want to be earth ghosts so that they can haunt people that suck. And my attitude is when I die, I will be done with those people. I do not intend to spend my afterlife thinking about those people. No. Bye. No. I'm going to go find aliens. No, exactly. And I I feel like as a space ghost, you probably have the ability to only communicate telepathically with other ghosts that you like. And so you're going to be like, hello, ghosts. I found this new cool planet. Why don't we like hang out here and see what there is and see if we can find some aliens to mess with? Um, I think that sounds great. Or again, like I discussed before recording the podcast, hey, this is a pretty sweet nebula. Let's have a ghost rave. Yes. You can find this conversation on Twitter um, at... Yeah, at snark snark underscore squad. squad. Yeah, snark underscore squad is our uh, initial handle. Yes. (laughs) 